Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Tell Me More Political Podcast. Thank you so much for your support and for listening in. Today we're going to be talking about the recent COAG meeting, the Council of Australian Governments meeting in Cairns, the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, which is a crucial part of the water system on the eastern side of Australia, and also what the French government is planning to do to reduce carbon emissions in their country by taxing flights. Stay tuned to find out. Now you may remember from an earlier episode when I talked about the Council of Australian Governments, or COAG. It's the group of leaders from across Australia, including the Prime Minister, the Premiers of the States, the Chief Ministers of the Northern Territory and the ACT, and the head of the Australian Local Government Association, who represents the councils from across Australia. There are a number of COAG meetings throughout the year, and in the meantime, state state governments will write to the Commonwealth to ask for certain items and issues to be placed on the agenda. The most recent meeting occurred in Cairns, and I want to unpack some of the outcomes of that meeting. Something to note also, this is the first COAG meeting that's been held in a non-capital city. So it's great to see uh, the Commonwealth and the States agreeing to go somewhere different and it shines a light on the regional city of Cairns. You have a lot of media going there and it also gives local community groups and leaders an opportunity to be heard when they might not ordinarily. There were quite a few items on the agenda this meeting. Um, For one, COAG agreed to work together to reduce red tape, which is of course very important to reduce regulatory barriers help businesses achieve more and more easily go about their business, employing people and making a profit and improving the economy. Also, population planning and management was raised, which is becoming an ever-increasingly important issue, especially for the larger states like New South Wales and Victoria, where they are seeing population booms, especially from overseas migration. They're looking to have some sort of framework or a way to improve regional growth to stop all of the overseas migration centering on cities like Sydney and Melbourne, which can't cope with the rate of growth and instead showcase the great regional cities that all of the states have to offer with the possibility of the win-win situation of migrants finding these great regional towns uh, they can find jobs learn grow the community and meanwhile the businesses in these small towns themselves which may not have um, a great enough uh, birth rate of population increase can improve themselves their diversity and their output by welcoming new migrants population planning is now a standing item on the COAG agenda so at each meeting the commonwealth the Council Association and the states report on their progress um, and how they're going with developing this framework. Infrastructure investment was also raised. Uh, Infrastructure is always a big ticket Commonwealth and state spending item. With billions of dollars spent each year, the states are always trying to vie for more Commonwealth contribution. Uh, Some projects, inner city projects, there's usually a 50-50 split between states and Commonwealth, whereas in regional areas or areas of national significance um, to the land transport network, such as highways that pass through regional areas, 
um, states try to barter for an 80% Commonwealth, 20% state split. And this is all in the context of Australia needing a bit of a boost to the economy and the uh, Reserve Bank of Australia governor saying that the Commonwealth could improve the stagnant position by boosting infrastructure throughout the states and territories. At this meeting, COAG discussed uh, ways that they can boost infrastructure and keep the quality of Australian infrastructure high whilst managing capacities such as specialised workforces and individuals into the future. This resulted in COAG referring the matter to the Transport and Infrastructure Committee, which is a subcommittee of COAG, to analyse the infrastructure markets in each of the states and report back. Moving on, COAG discussed the VET system, the post-secondary skills and education system, and created a new skills uh, subcommittee of COAG, which they tasked with analysing the VET sector and uh, have asked them to return to COAG with options for reform. Leaders also discussed regional Australia, the benefit it contributes to Australia's culture and the economy, and set up a regional ministers forum to work to um, improve or assist with some of the challenges regional Australia is facing. COAG also agreed to the fourth action plan of the National Plan to Reduce Violence Against Women and Their Children, which is an important framework that sits behind the states and the Commonwealth's actions to uh, try to reduce domestic violence. The leaders also discussed the very important issue of youth mental health and suicide and how to prevent it. Scott Morrison's government uh, lately, especially since the last budget, have come out very strongly uh, signalling their intention to spend an additional hundreds of millions of dollars on this issue. And at COAG, all leaders agreed to make the issue a national priority officially and for each jurisdiction to work on local initiatives and targeted initiatives to have the greatest effect. On the environment front, leaders agreed to work towards a ban on the export of certain rubbish materials and instead focusing on the recycling industry in Australia and how to boost that so Australia has more of a capability and is able to focus more on recycling rather than just exporting waste. Coag also agreed or more discussed a number of standing issues or recurring matters such as early childhood education, counter-terrorism, uh, the closing the gap initiative, uh, general federal financial relations, which is how the money is distributed between the Commonwealth and the states, um, and data sharing, which are, which are more or less standing items and COAG agreed to continue the work in those spaces. On the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, which we'll speak about in just a minute, uh, leaders agreed to establish an Inspector General of Murray-Darling Basin Water Resources to improve transparency of the system and also agreed to work together for a joint response to the Productivity Commission's report on the Murray-Darling Basin Plan, their five-year assessment. So those are the highlights of the recent COAG meeting in Cairns and what was reflected in the COAG communique. So some important issues and it's good to see some initiatives like waste recycling and moving towards more of a focus on youth mental health. Now it's up to each of the jurisdictions to implement what they agree to so we can see some real change.
you've most likely heard about the Murray Darling at some point. It's a massive part of Australian geography. Uh, with the area that it takes up, there's 2 million people that live within that area. Uh, the basin itself drains a seventh of Australia and represents one third of the agricultural product of Australia. It's over 2,500 kilometres long and it represents Australia's largest and arguably most important source of water. It seems like there's always some sort of conflict going on related to the Murray-Darling Basin though and that's because the water itself is shared between Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. So the fights begin when states are arguing that others or farmers in other states are taking more than their fair share, leaving less for the rest of them. The Murray-Darling Basin Plan was enacted in 2012 between those states and the Commonwealth with the intention of equitably sharing and distributing the water whilst maintaining some protections for the water and the wildlife in it, maintaining it for generations to come. The most important part of the plan is to recover 2,750 gigalitres of water from the Murray-Darling. Now that's done through a number of ways, through the government buying back water licences so farmers can sell their right to use water from the Murray-Darling back to the government in exchange for money and also by the government funding water infrastructure improvements, for example, building pieces of infrastructure on a farm or around the Murray-Darling that affects a farm, the farm is able to use less water whilst having the same output and in return the farmer gifts that saved water back to the Commonwealth or the states to save in the Murray-Darling so it's not depleted sooner. Now this was all agreed in 2012 but since then there's been talks of increasing that gigalitre savings target. Uh, but the only way that can happen, according to the legislation, is that the communities that rely on this water um, have a neutral or improved social outcome. And this comes into question when we, we really look at that definition, what is an improved or neutral social outcome? If a farmer sells their water to the Commonwealth, that's seen as a neutral, at least, outcome because he or she is given fair compensation. But then if you look at the community, they may be suffering as a result of this farm not being irrigated, which has flow-on impacts, and perhaps the neighbouring farm would have used that water, and that means there's fewer jobs available or fewer product being produced. It seems like there's always an issue popping up to do with the Murray-Darling Basin from accusations of farmers taking too much water compared to what they've been allocated to environmental groups claiming there's no real benefit to the environment from the whole scheme. Most recently, and raised on the outskirts of COAG, the New South Wales government, specifically John Barillaro, the Deputy Premier, claimed that New South Wales would leave the Murray-Darling Basin Plan Agreement if other states such as South Australia don't complete their fair share of undertakings. And you can definitely see that frustration when states like New South Wales are experiencing droughts, are having very hard times, and they're seeing this full body of water that they're unable to touch, which is drifting straight down to South Australia who have access to it but aren't suffering the same drought conditions. The Commonwealth Government has defended the scheme by saying that 
uh, water buybacks damage farms, livelihoods, regional centres. So that's only a small part of the scheme. The focus is on water infrastructure, which improves farms, improves water usage, and we're saving water instead of just shutting down farms by forcing farmers to uh, sell their water back to the government. So coming out of COAG, um, as I said before, the leaders agreed to a number of changes to the governance of the plan and also to increase the transparency, the accountability and the openness of the plan itself because one of its criticisms is that it is very opaque. Uh, it's impossible to see how much water is being saved and with such a vast program and body of water itself, it is difficult to determine and measure. So that's something the governments and jurisdictions are going to be working towards. With such an important part of the environment and such a vital resource as water to so many regional communities, it is important the governments get this right. Looking at the broader world now, the French government has just decided to implement an 18 euro eco-tax on all flights leaving France. The French government expects this tax to raise about 180 million euros a year, which they're going to reinvest in other projects. I should note the tax is up to 18 euros and it differs depending on the type of ticket. This decision comes amongst global discussions about air uh, traffic and pollution taking up a greater proportion than it should of uh, carbon emissions and contributions to climate change. While only 5% of the world's population uses air travel, uh, airplanes contribute 2% of the world's emissions. Just saying, agriculture takes up over 11% of world emissions as well. So if anyone wanted to cut down on their meat intake, they would be doing the world a favour. Just in case anyone wants to try hashtag Meatless Monday. Now this new scheme does raise questions because recently you'll remember the riots in France, the yellow vests, uh, which was in response to the government's proposed fuel tax to combat climate change. So there is a question about how in tune with the public and the French people this government is considering their staunch rejection of the last tax. The announcement also impacted airlines with uh, airlines that frequently fly or are based in France. Their stock prices dropping about 5% after the announcement. There were mixed uh, reviews of this new tax in the media. On one side, environmental groups are saying uh, this actually doesn't go far enough, it should be more and there should be higher taxes across all of the major polluting uh, industries, including trucking and aviation. Meanwhile, airlines, especially Air France operated from within France, have said that this will significantly hurt their competitiveness and will hurt the industry operating within France. This is due to the measure being specific to France as well. It's not an EU measure which would uh, even the playing field, so to speak, across Europe. But, uh, for example, considering this is just France, uh, surrounding countries can operate from an, a better starting point. It'll be interesting to see as this tax is implemented and we can examine the impact of the tax on people's economic choices, whether they choose to fly out of France, would they rather 
uh, have a domestic holiday or would they rather take a land transport to a neighboring country and we'll be able to observe that over the next few years and also see how the French government continues to implement their environmental agenda saying they wanted to put an environmental focus at the center of their government but uh, obviously backing down from their recent fuel tax initiatives after the riots so it'll be good to see the government's next steps from here and also interesting how people's consumer behaviors are measured for example given the geographical nature of Europe if you are close to uh, the French border would you choose to go to say a German airport which is about the same distance as a French one because of this difference um, so it'll be interesting to tell if it does impact people's consumer behavior or even further if this has an impact on uh, French run airlines will this then result in flight prices being put up as less people are buying tickets we'll just have to wait and see Once again thank you so much everyone for listening it's great to have you here find me on instagram tell me more podcast let me know what you thought what you'd like to hear next week or just have a chat about any political or current issue until next time have a lovely week